Saturday, April the 16th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, more bodies found around Kyiv, and Twitter adopts, quote, poison pill. First, the week in brief. More than 900 civilian bodies have been found around Kyiv following Russian soldiers' retreat from the Ukrainian capital, according to the head of the regional police. Most were shot, quote, simply executed in the streets, he said. Meanwhile, the captain of the Moskva, Russia's flagship in the Black Sea, was reported to have been killed when the vessel was sunk on Wednesday. Ukraine is bracing for retaliatory missile attacks on its cities. Germany's finance minister said his country would raise 2 billion euros, 2.2 billion dollars of new military aid this year and donate most of it to Ukraine. Germany has been criticised for its perceived foot-dragging on sending arms to help repel Russia's invasion. Earlier in a diplomatic letter forwarded to America's State Department, the Kremlin warned the West of, quote, unpredictable consequences if it continues to provide Ukraine with military equipment. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said the world should be prepared for Russia's using chemical and nuclear weapons. Twitter's board adopted a, quote, poison pill to stave off a potential hostile takeover by Elon Musk. If Mr Musk tries to acquire more than 15% of the social media firm, the manoeuvre lets other investors purchase shares at a discounted price, thereby diluting his stake. He currently owns 9%. Twitter said the mechanism, which will remain in effect for a year, would not foreclose negotiations with potential buyers. Emmanuel Macron, France's president, called for a cap on executive pay across the European Union, following disclosures that the boss of Stellantis, a carmaker, has a compensation package worth €19 million, Euros, $21 million last year. Marine Le Pen, who Mr Macron faces in a runoff for the presidency on April 24th, described the sum as, quote, shocking. The firm is incorporated in the Netherlands, giving the French government little influence over its pay policies. The Biden administration said it will open new federal land to leasing by oil and gas firms. About 144,000 acres, 58,000 hectares in nine states, will be put up for auction. Royalty fees to the government will rise from 12.5% of profits to 19%. President Joe Biden had previously vowed to stop new drilling on public land, but now he wants to increase oil production amid rising prices. In a bid to boost the economy, China's central bank cut the amount of reserves that banks must maintain, allowing them to release 500 billion yuan, $78 billion worth of loans. The country is struggling to cope with lockdowns in dozens of cities. However, Interest rates remained untouched. Clashes between Israeli police and Palestinians in a mosque in Jerusalem wounded more than 150 people. Israel said it had sent its forces into the mosque, 
where thousands had been gathered for morning prayers to quell expected violence. Tensions are running high in Jerusalem's old city as devotees of different faiths are expected to gather this weekend to celebrate major festivals. And word of the week. Tachankas. Machine guns on horse-drawn carriages. They were used in the 1920s by Nestor Makhno, a Ukrainian anarchist. And now here's today's agenda. Peace talks gone nowhere. Negotiations between Russia and Ukraine have reached, quote, a dead end, said Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, on April 12th. Even Turkish officials, who had hosted peace talks and previously insisted that considerable progress was being made, concede they are stalled amid evidence of new Russian atrocities. Turkey hopes to revive them nonetheless. The country's foreign minister, Mevlut Cavusoglu, said on April 14th that his government was still committed to arranging a summit between Mr Putin and Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. That prospect seems more remote than ever. Russian forces have retreated from the outskirts of Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital, but Mr Putin has pledged to continue the war with a focus on the eastern region of Donbass. Russia will probably need to suffer more setbacks before he considers a return to the negotiating table. Macron in Marseille With just a week to go until French voters return to the polls to pick their next president, Emmanuel Macron will on Saturday take his campaign to Marseille. The sitting centrist president, who faces the nationalist populist Marine Le Pen in a second-round poll on April 24th, will hold a rally in the gardens of the Palais de Ferro, built on a rocky outcrop overlooking the old port. It was in the southern city that Mr Macron spent three days last September, a trip that served as an informal start to his re-election campaign. Meanwhile, Miss Le Pen has also been trying to win over voters in the south, a region traditionally sympathetic to her hard-right politics. She held a big rally in Avignon on Thursday and went campaigning in Provence the next day. The Economist's forecasting model, however, still makes Mr Macron the strong favourite, with an 83% probability of election, next to 17% for Miss Le Pen. The Invictus Games In 2014, Prince Harry founded the Invictus Games, a Paralympic-style multi-sport event for wounded ex-servicemen and women from Britain and its allies. The Games aim to use sport to assist recovery and rehabilitation from physical or mental trauma. Since the inaugural event, three more have been held in America, 2016, Canada, 2017, and Australia 2018. The fifth iteration begins on Saturday in The Hague after two pandemic-related postponements. All eyes will be on the Ukrainian team, which has defied expectations to take part. Four former participants or trialists from previous Ukrainian teams have been killed since Russia launched its war. Quote, 
When we win, we will celebrate his life, talk about him and his sense of humour, professionalism, patriotism and sports endeavours, wrote the Ukrainian team manager. Serhii Karevan died on March 13th. Quote, and we will hug and cry and laugh because the memories of him bring joy and happiness. America's First Ladies on Screen In 2016, Hillary Clinton got closer than any other woman to reaching the Oval Office, before losing America's presidential election to Donald Trump. But women have long-wielded power in the White House, if not from the Resolute Desk. When Woodrow Wilson suffered a debilitating stroke in October 1919, for example, his wife Edith assumed some presidential responsibilities. Her story got Aaron Cooley, a novelist and screenwriter, thinking about first ladies, the influence they can have and the politics they must navigate. His series, The First Lady, which has its premiere on Sunday on Showtime, dramatises the tenures of Eleanor Roosevelt, Gillian Anderson, Betty Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michelle Obama, Viola Davis. Each made a mark. Mrs Roosevelt through her civil rights and labour activism, Mrs Ford through her struggles with alcoholism, and Mrs Obama as the first black woman in the role. All three proof that the job involves more than hosting Easter egg rolls and state dinners. Weekend Profile Alexander Dvornikov, Russia's new top commander in Ukraine. In 2015, General Alexander Dvornikov was tapped to lead Russia's military campaign in support of Syria's dictator Bashar al-Assad. It marked a turning point in both the Syrian civil war and his own career. In the first three months, Russian airstrikes killed 700 militants and almost 800 civilians. Opposition strongholds, including the city of Aleppo, were flattened. For his role in the battle, President Vladimir Putin made General Dvornikov a hero of the Russian Federation, the country's highest honour. Now Mr Putin has put him in charge of the floundering campaign in Ukraine. General Dvornikov was born in 1961 in Usaresk near the Chinese border. He graduated from military school as a teenager and rose through the ranks of Russian's Far Eastern military district whose main task was to guard against Chinese attack. He served in East Germany until 1994. Five years later, he fought in the exceptionally brutal Second Chechen War. There he was nicknamed the, quote, Butcher, for laying siege to Grozny, where thousands of civilians died. The posting to Syria made General Dvornikov's career Quote, the Syrian armed forces had completely exhausted themselves. The personnel were demoralised and the officer corps were degraded, he recalled years later. Russian involvement, quote, radically changed the situation. Afterwards, he described the difficulty of fighting in mountains and tunnels and at night. Firepower was key, he said. Airstrikes, missiles fired from warships, Artillery and, in Aleppo, quote, constant fire, day and night, without a break. 
psychological warfare was important too, as was his small centralised command. After Syria, General Dvornikov was appointed commander of Russia's southern military district. The region includes occupied Crimea and abuts Donbar, where Russian forces have fought since 2014. Russia now says, quote, liberating Donbar is its only mission. The Kremlin identified Syria as a successful and replicable operation. But in Ukraine, the secrecy of its planning, disparate command structure and faulty intelligence have taken a toll. General Dvornikov is said to have led Russia's invasion of Kherson, the only city captured so far. Now he will be expected to secure Donbar and capture the port of Odessa. Pity those in his way. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Tony Shin, Seoul, South Korea. North America, Patty Drago, Luz, Delaware, United States. Central and South America, Vincent Lara, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Peter Silossi, Budapest, Hungary. Africa, Paul Lee, Pretoria, South Africa. Oceania, Jennifer Bladen-Clark, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Steve Austin, Pierre Trudeau, Helena Bonham Carter, Johnny Carson, the Charleston. The theme is American state capitals, Austin, Texas, Pierre, South Dakota, Helena, Montana, Carson, Nevada and Charleston, South Carolina. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Dusty Springfield. People resent change, but they forget that they've changed too. I think most of us changed for the better rather than the worse. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.